Chapter 16 of Hard to Beat by a Self-Made Man This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 16 Red Dog Bobs Up Serenely My gracious Bob Brooks, exclaimed Kitty Barnes when she entered the office at a few minutes after nine Monday morning and found the messenger boy already at his post. What haven't you been doing since Saturday? Why, the morning paper has a big account of a most remarkable adventure of which you were the hero. Am I to believe all I see printed about you here? And she held up the newspaper. It's a pretty correct account in the main, admitted the boy with his usual grin. And your poor hands, cried the girl sympathetically as she gently took hold of the bandaged members. They feel as awkward as a couple of lobster claws, said Bob. And it was all because you wouldn't sell that horrid man that western mining stock of yours. Do you think the police will catch him? Ask me something easier, Kitty. Just then Mr. Sharpley came in. Well, Bob, that red dog mining stock seems to be giving you quite a run. After reading the newspaper account of your adventures of yesterday, I'm beginning to believe there's more in red dog than meets the eye. Mr. Scrooge told me you refused eight cents a share for it in his presence. That's right. The same stock, too, that I sold you the day before for a cent a share. Mr. Scrooge says you picked up a letter on the street which proved to contain a certain pointer in the stock, something about fresh developments in the mine, etc. That is quite true, Mr. Sharpley. I believe you also bought some of the stock from Duncan and Company. Yes, sir, five thousand shares. Besides which, I got hold of another block of ten thousand from the widow of a man who bought twenty thousand shares. I am holding the other ten thousand in her interest. Mr. Sharpley whistled softly. You're branching out as a little speculator. I guess you're the shrewdest boy in Wall Street, bar none. If anything comes of this bread dog matter, you'll be the talk of the street. Well, sir, I'm not going to allow it to interfere with your business while I'm your messenger. You don't have to tell me that, Bob. Mr. Scrooge and myself have perfect confidence in you. Thank you, sir, said Bob, feeling very much gratified at this expression on the part of the junior partner, who turned on his heel and entered the private room. A dozen brokers who knew Bob spoke to him on the street that morning about the newspaper account of his late adventure. As the name of the stock involved had not appeared in print, most of the Wall Street men, with an eye to business, wanted to find out about it, but the boy was noncommittal in his answers. At least two dozen brokers spoke to Mr. Sharpley when he appeared at the exchange, and every one of them tried to find out the name of the stock mentioned, but Mr. Sharpley was not telling all he knew to his business rivals. Reporters for other papers waited on Bob at the office to try and dig up a few additional particulars. The afternoon edition of the newspaper which had published the morning account reproduced a photograph of the house on the Hackensack Meadows, to which were added drawings and outline of four incidents of the affair. Altogether the matter created quite a little stir on Wall Street, to which the lack of the name of the stock at the bottom of the outrage added a spice of mystery. Bob did not fail to keep track of C.H. and D. that day, notwithstanding the many other things which occupied his attention. Quite a batch of the stock changed hands around 54. In Bob's opinion, it was doing very well for the present, and he was satisfied. The boy watched the papers during the week for news about Mr. Smithers and his elderly accomplice, but they had managed to elude capture. 
under the influence of steady purchases, quietly engineered by the brokers employed by the combination, CH and D stock gradually advanced in price to 57 before Saturday. This represented a gain of $2,500 for Bob. The Sunday papers came out with a report that CH and D had gobbled up the Lakeshore steamship line running between Chicago and Buffalo. Several big brokers not interested in the click wired Chicago for a confirmation of the deal, and the replies they severally received led to active results about the CH&D corner on the floor of the exchange Monday morning. Heavy purchases of the stock were made, and as the price continued to ascend, more brokers and some of the outside public got interested in the stock, and lively times were in sight with CH&D at 63 when the exchange closed for the day. I think you're getting your share of Wall Street luck, Bob, said Phil as the two boys strolled up Broadway together that afternoon after the offices had closed. C.H.&D, your latest investment, has now got all the brokers by the ears. How the dickens did you come to pick it out? That's one of the secrets of the business, grinned Bob. Maybe you got a tip, suggested Phil inquisitively. Maybe I did. There are such an awful lot of them flying around loose. Rats! Why don't you say you don't want to tell and be done with it? Don't get mad over it, Phil. We're friends, you know, and I hope we will always remain so. But in matters of business, especially such a risky business as the stock market, I must be allowed to remain mum, if I prefer, from motives of prudence, to do so. All right, Bob, said Phil, getting bravely over his peak. Let it go at that. As you haven't said a word about Red Dog for a week, said Bob, I'll let you read this clipping from the Denver Mining Gazette, which Mr. Sharpley handed me this morning. You will see that the mine is now without doubt coming to the front. That'll set a lot of sapheads who parted with the stock for a mere song to thinking. I'll bet your boss is a whole lot sorry he sold me that 5,000 block. If he isn't, he will be before many moons. The clipping ran as follows. Red Dog. Conditions at the Red Dog Mine continue to improve and an application has been made by the management to both the Denver and San Francisco exchanges to have the stock relisted, and no reasonable objection can be offered to this request. It has been rumored for weeks that this will prove one of the greatest mines of the Goldfield District and of Nevada. It is now claimed by conservative mining men that nearly three-quarters of a million dollars' worth of ore has already been blocked out, and the shaft is not yet down 200 feet. A contract has been let to drive a cross-cut in the direction of the huge blowout found on the property. We unhesitatingly advise our readers to try and get a hold of this stock, which seems to be largely held by those on the inside. It will prove a valuable investment. You were born under a lucky star, Bob, said Phil as he returned the clipping. Offshaw! Give me credit for a little brains, will you? Don't you believe in luck also? Yes, there's such a thing though I think people make their own luck. I haven't made anything but my salary. Suppose I'm lucky to have a job. You're lucky to have a good job. I don't think you have anything to complain about at Duncan's. I can't complain not having enough to do at any rate, grinned Phil. Don't worry about that. Christmas is coming, and the boss will remember your noble efforts when he hands out your little special envelope. Thanks for nothing. Unless Duncan sees me a few plunks better this year, I won't be able to make good all the shoe leather I've worn out in his service. Better than wearing it out hunting a job. By this time they had arrived at City Hall Park. 
So each invested in an evening paper, descended the stairs of one of the subway entrances, and took the Lenox Avenue Express for home. End of chapter 16